morning again, and if you have your Bible, please open it to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. This was going to be one sermon, it has turned into two. I'm sure y'all are used to that with me. Whenever I start, I try to get done with one passage, but it gets too long. I said, well, I'm just going to make it, make it two sermons. So two sermons again this week on this passage in Luke chapter 10. Today we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 28. 25 through 28. Many of you know that the, the two greatest commandments in the Bible is to, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, love is an expression of our faith in Jesus Christ. Even Paul says the whole law is fulfilled in one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is a, a simple truth, but, but it's really hard to put into practice. Don't you agree? Loving people is not always easy. It is hard. It's hard because of what C.H. Dodge says. He says, love is the willingness to surrender that which has value for our own life to enrich the life of another. Don't just carelessly, you know, nod your head and, you know, with those words. I mean, take it in. Understand the, the implications of, of what he's saying. That love is the willingness to surrender that which has value for your own life to enrich the life of someone else. It's laying aside certain rights, certain privileges, and certain resources in order to love thy neighbor. Again, it's hard to put this into practice. You will fail. It won't be perfect. You will make mistakes. You will see more of your sin in the process. You will see the sin of others. You will see their brokenness. They will see your brokenness. And for some of you, you may even discover that you really just don't care about people. For some of you. But no worries. You're not alone. Jesus is Emmanuel to you as you struggle to love your neighbor as yourself. I say it is a struggle because it is a struggle to love people. If you're truly trying to love them, it's a struggle. And you have to remember that his presence in your life, this has been something I've been saying in this whole Emmanuel series, that Christ's presence in your life is an eternal, unbroken continuum that moves sovereignly throughout every area of your life. And he doesn't need permission to do that, okay? He does it, even if you don't sense it, even if you don't feel it. His presence is with you. You cannot ever lose sight of that. Christ is with you, just like he's with a certain Jewish man in Luke 10, beginning in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. 
And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And verse 29, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Please pray with and for me. Father, as we come to the, the preaching of your word, I pray that your spirit, Lord, will move. I pray that he will take what is preached and apply it to, to all of our hearts, Father. Everyone here, myself included, we always are in need of your grace. We are always in need of your mercy, your forgiveness, your forever watchful eye, your forever presence. None of us here have it all together. Some of us, if we're honest, we really don't want to be here. Some of us are here to check a box. Some of us are here because it's what we do in the South. We go to church on Sunday. And others may be here because they truly want to worship you. So you know us even more than we, better than we know ourselves. And so my prayer is that you will meet us in this place today to empower us, to strengthen us, to build us up so that we can go back out into the world and live and fight and engage one more week. So be with us, Holy Spirit. Be with us, Jesus. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Luke 10, verses 25 through 37, is one of the most famous passages in Scripture because of one of the most famous parables in Scripture. That is the parable of the Good Samaritan. A lot of people, even a lot of non-believers, are familiar with this parable of the Good Samaritan. But this passage does not begin with this parable. It begins with a dialogue between Jesus and a Jewish man. And their dialogue centers around two questions. And we're going to see Jesus be Emmanuel to this man in the way he addresses and, re- and responds to those questions. You're going to see Jesus be a neighbor to this man. You're going to see Jesus love this man like a neighbor. So who is this neighbor? Who is this Jewish, Jewish man that wants to dialogue with Jesus? Luke answers this question for us. He calls our attention to the man's identity in verse 25. He says, behold, a lawyer. The Jewish man is a lawyer. Not the type of lawyer you may know or have in mind. He's not Alexander Shannara, okay? (laughs) There isn't going to be hundreds of billboard signs in the first world advertising his services with his face on. He's not saying if you have an injury... In an accident, call me. He's not that type of lawyer. He is trained in the Mosaic law, not civil law. The message translation calls him a religious scholar, an expert in interpreting the Old Testament scriptures, particularly the Pentateuch, which is the five, first five books of the Bible. So he has a Ph.D. in Old Testament law. He's an Old Testament type theologian. He knows it well. He knows his stuff. He is well-versed. So that means if he was alive today, he would know more about the Old Testament than you do. And he will out-argue you any day of the week because he knows it well. And so with a certain confidence and, 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 and pride in his own abilities, he engages Jesus. He initiates a conversation with Jesus. 
the exact context of the interaction isn't known, but, but it appears to be like a question and answer time after Christ just finished teaching. So this law expert stands up and he asks Jesus one question. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What shall I do? What shall I sacrifice? What duties shall I perform? What are the requirements? What rules must I follow to inherit eternal life? The question appears to be innocent. It appears to be sincere. And it looks that way on the surface, but, but it's not. Because there's a reason he, he rises up. There's a purpose be, behind the question. The law expert has a motive. He has an agenda. And Luke reveals it to us right here in verse 25. He says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to test him. To test Jesus. By saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He stands up to, he rises up to test Jesus. He, he stands up to tempt Jesus, to entrap him, to catch Jesus in a mistake, to show him up, to prove that this man from Nazareth really isn't a teacher. See, the law expert puts Jesus on blast. And some of you know what, it, what it's like to be put on blast. You don't like it. You don't like it when someone blasts your Facebook page and calls you out for stuff. You don't like when people put all your business out on Facebook, try to show you up. It ticks you off. So Jesus is put on blast, but, but he don't respond the way that we respond. He doesn't get defensive. He, he doesn't lose control. He, he doesn't blow the man off. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't give him, you don't know who you're messing with, look. And we all have that, that look. You don't know who you're messing with, man. No, instead, Jesus is Emmanuel to him. He's Emmanuel to a man who throws shade his way. He engages him on his level. He's a neighbor to him. He's a neighbor to a man who stands up to challenge him in public. Okay? This is happening in public, in front of other people. And Jesus loves him. He's Emmanuel to him in the way he responds to this Jewish lawyer. So he responds to the man's question with a question. That's classic Jesus. I know it can be frustrating. He says to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? My wife says people love to talk about themselves when you're given the opportunity to. And so Jesus' two questions is going to give this religious expert an opportunity to show just how smart he really is going to give him an opportunity to showcase his expertise in the Mosaic law. And he does. Please understand. He does show it with great insight. He summarizes the whole Mosaic law by combining two verses from Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. He answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might, and your neighbor as yourself. This isn't Christ summarizing the law. This is a Jewish expert summarizing the law into two commandments, the two greatest commandments. And Christ affirms him. He says, you answer correctly. And then he gives him this conditional statement. 
If you can do A, then B will happen. If you do this, you will live. Your doing refers to loving God and loving neighbor. And this love isn't a one-time act. It's not love on a part-time basis. It's, it's not love when you feel like it and when it's convenient. It's not a performance. It's not a, a checklist of duties. The law expert is supposed to do this perfectly. That's the point. The doing is ongoing. It's continuous. It's nonstop. One must keep on loving God and neighbor. And that love must be perfect. That's what he's telling him. If you can do this perfectly, then you will live. The law expert should have life if he can love God and love people perfectly. 365 days a year without ever messing up in thought, word, or deed. Can he do that? Y'all should be saying, no, pastor, he can't do that. (laughs) No, he can't do that. But that's the requirement. It's perfection. And all of us here know that no human being, the greatest human being you know, the most compassionate human being you know, does not love God and people perfect. They mess up. They still have sin. Jesus is the only one who loves God without sin. Jesus is the only one who loves people without sin. Because he's perfect and he's holy, and we're not. You see, there are two sides to Christ's finished work for us. It's what theologians call his passive obedience and his active obedience. His passive obedience is is his death on the cross, him receiving God's wrath and and punishment in our place. That's his passive obedience. His active obedience is, is him fulfilling all the requirements of God's law for you. And that includes the law of love. He does it all perfectly. So truthfully, there isn't anything you and myself and the law expert can do to perform or sacrifice to inherit eternal life. Only thing that we can do is receive it through faith in Christ alone. And so what, what does that mean? It means you have to come to Christ and confess that you are a sinner. And then you repent of those sins. And next, you surrender to him as both your Lord and Savior. Christ is the solid rock on which you stand. Your righteousness, your performance, your obedience, your education is nothing but sinking sand. That's it. Nothing but sinking sand. And it's not just true of us. It's also true of this scholar. Him standing in his own expertise is sinking sand. Because he stands up to put Jesus on blast as if he has it all together. He rises up to challenge Jesus as if he knows more about the law than Jesus knows about the law and its implications. And Jesus knows this. That's, That's what's so wonderful about Jesus that he sees through this man. And yet he goes along with it. He goes along with it. He meets him where he is to bring him to the place he wants him to be. He's a neighbor to him. He's been Emmanuel to him. One commentator says, Christ meets this lawyer on his own platform, as it were, so as to make him realize his guilt and his impotence, that he can't do it. That's what he's doing. But will he see it? 
Will he see his guilt? Will he see that he can't really love people this way? He has an opportunity to admit this, but he doesn't admit it. He doesn't admit that I don't love people like this. I, I don't love God perfectly. And so he, he chooses what I call character management. That's his response. He tries to, to let himself off the hook. He, he wants to clear himself of any perceived guilt. So he tried to paint himself in, in a positive light. And so he asked Jesus a second question that appears to be innocent and sincere, but it's not either. Verse 29 says, But he, desiring to justify himself, says to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, this is the law expert, the one who is well-versed in the law, now claiming he don't know what the law means. The message translation says, looking for a loophole, he asks, just how do you define neighbor? It's like people want to know how far to the line do I have to get to the line before it's sin. What is the law expert doing? He's limiting the implications of the law to love your neighbor as yourself. He's limiting it. And he already has in his own life. You see, he already has set boundaries around this law. He already has placed people into two groups. These are, this is my neighbor group, and this is my non-neighbor group. I have my neighbor group here. These are the people that I love. And my non-neighbors, well, those are the ones I don't have to love. Because that, the law that God has said only applies to my neighbor. But if you're not my neighbor, then I don't really have to love you. That's what he's doing. He's like many other Jewish religious leaders during this time. For them, their neighbor are fellow Jews, not non-Jews. If you are a Jew, then you're my neighbor. If you are a Gentile, you are not. So basically, to him, you ain't none of his neighbors, because all of us here are Gentiles. One of my seminary professors, New Testament professor, Simon Kistemacher, says that a Jewish man lived in a secular world. He placed himself at the center, surrounded himself by immediate relatives, then his kinsmen, and finally the circle of all those who claim Jewish descent and who, convert, who converted to Judaism. The word neighbor has a reciprocal meaning. He is my brother to me and I am to him. Thus the circle is one of self-interest. It's one of self-interest. One of self-interest, he says in the circle. And ethnocentrism. Is also there. That means he evaluates other cultures with the preconceptions of of his own culture. And then he goes on to add, the lines were clearly drawn to ensure the well-being of those who were inside and to deny help to those who were outside. That's what he says this man is doing. That's how he lives his life in a secular world, circular world. We live in divisive times. In our country, we do. We read the newspaper, we look at the news, we look at social media. We live in divisive times. Even within the church, we do. People live in camps, we live in tribes, we live in parties. Lines have been drawn, allies have joined forces. 
and all that has taken place in our country, socially, religiously, and politically, do you find yourself asking, who is my neighbor? And all the stuff that's going on, have you, really, have you asked yourself, who is my neighbor in all that I see? Who is my neighbor? Have you put people into two groups? Your neighbor group, your non-neighbor group. Have you clearly drawn lines to ensure the well-being of those who are on the inside and denied help to those who are on the outside? What do people have to give up to be your neighbor? What do people have to give up to be your neighbor? Who must they vote for to be your neighbor? Cheer for, root for to be your neighbor. Do you have a neighbor criteria? What must they believe? What must they look like? Do you have a neighbor quota that you got to have certainly the black people, white people, Asian people, Hispanic people? Do I have to submit a resume and apply to be your neighbor? If you're asking the question, who is my neighbor, this is what you're really asking. You are placing all the responsibility on people to meet some expectation of yours in order for you to love them. And if they don't meet that expectation, then they go to non-neighbor group. Non-neighbor group. We have to understand who is my neighbor is the wrong question. We're going to get into this next week. The question is, how can I be a neighbor to others? Not who is my neighbor. Because the question, how can I be a neighbor, is the focus is on you. Because if I'm doing marriage counseling with you, and you come in and say, well, my husband ain't doing this, ain't doing that, ain't doing that, then I'm going to say, well, what kind of wife are you? I mean, if your husband comes in and says, my wife ain't doing this, ain't doing this, ain't doing that, I'm going to say, what kind of husband are you? What about your responsibility? What's your role in that? Because it's always easy to focus on the other person's issues and close your mind to your own. What kind of spouse do you want to be? What kind of neighbor do you want to be? You have to be the type of neighbor you want to see in others. So that's the question. How can I be a neighbor to other people? And you and have you ever asked yourself that question? When you, I'm pretty sure you've done lots of studies on this passage. Because it's one of the most famous passages in Scripture. And, and during your study time, have you in your journal, have you ever said, how can I be a neighbor to people? How can I be that neighbor? And we won't ask that question if, if we don't understand that Jesus is and has been a neighbor to you. To you. And do you value the way he neighbors you? Do you value the way that he loves you? Do you embrace it? Does it impact you anyway? To the fact that, to you, that you are loved by Jesus, even though you don't deserve it. We think we deserve it. 
And that's part of our problem. We don't deserve it, but he chooses to love us anyway. He loves you more than you can even imagine. Kids, you know your parents love you. God loves you more. He loves you more. Think about that. God loves us more than any human being could ever love us. Why? Remember, he died for your sins. And so in our struggles to love our neighbor, when we don't want to do it, if there's an issue in doing it, there's something about Jesus that we really don't understand. Something about him that we haven't fully embraced yet. The Psalms, the, the one of the hymns says, How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond our measure, that he should give his only son to make wretches his pleasure, his treasure. You're God's treasure in Christ. That when he looks down upon you now, that's what he sees. Son, daughter. Son, daughter. He has adopted into his kingdom. And so if you're embracing God's wonderful love for you, if you're embracing that rightly, then you will extend it to other people. And it won't be easy. It won't be easy. Because usually when we read this passage and we get down into the parable, we, we, we look at the, the, the neighbor part. We always think the neighbor is, is someone who's in need of mercy. Someone who who falls upon the robbers and, and he, get, he gets beat up and, and then the Samaritan comes and he nurses him back to health. He says, yeah, I need to be a neighbor to those people. Let me ask you a question. What if your neighbor is the religious expert? The one who don't need your money, but the one who challenges everything you believe. The one who doesn't need your mercy, but the one who, doesn't, the one who thinks you're an idiot for believing in the gospel. Can you be a neighbor to that person? The one who is your intellectual equal but does not submit to Jesus. The one who can argue you up and down. We can go toe-to-toe with you and apologize, but we're not submit to Jesus. Can you be a neighbor to that person? Because some of us need to realize those are our neighbors too. The people who can go toe-to-toe with us intellectually, but we're not submit to Jesus. But they know the scriptures. They can even know theology. But can you love them when they put you on blast? Can you love them when they show you up in the office? Can you love them when they put stuff on your social media posts? Can you be a neighbor to that person? Because we, America is filled with a lot of law experts, a lot of people who know a lot of stuff but do not have faith in Jesus. They know a lot of stuff. They challenge Christians. They challenge you in in every regard. they, They call you out about stuff. Can you be a neighbor to them? Can you love them the way that Christ loves you? Can you be a neighbor to those people? Because guess what? They need Jesus too. And if those people are in your life, then they're in your life for the purpose of you to love them the way Christ loves you. And will you do that? Will you do that? Love is the willingness to surrender that which, has, that which has value in your own life to enrich the life of a neighbor. It will not be easy. It will be hard. But you are not alone in this. 
You're not alone in this. But sometimes we think we are alone. We forget that Jesus is Emmanuel. That is just not poetic stuff. That's gospel truth. We cannot function like practical atheists. On Sundays, I believe in God, but Monday through Saturday, I live as if he's not real. In my family, I live as if he's not real. But on Sunday, yay, God be the glory. But come Monday, I don't believe he's real. You have to believe this stuff. It has to be, you have to believe it in your parenting. You have to believe it in your marriages. You have to believe it in your workplace. You have to believe it. It can't just be in my head intellectually. It has to be right here in my heart. Right here. The law expert knew he had all the knowledge. He's smarter than you. He knew he summarized the law perfectly. But yet he did not have faith in Jesus. So he knew the right answer. But he did not have faith in Jesus. You can know it all. People can know it all. But if they do not know Christ, if they do not have faith in Christ, then they are not going to heaven. They are not part of the family. So our hearts should ache for those who don't know Jesus. For those who have not surrendered to him. We should want to be a neighbor to them. We should see the the brokenness in the world and our hearts should break. We should see people who live in certain lifestyles and don't know Christ. Our hearts should break. Because they don't know him. And we should want to take the gospel to them. And the only thing that can, if the love of Christ for you is not powerful enough to give you the humility to love people, then nothing else will. Oprah can't help you. Okay? If Christ can't help you. A self-help book can't help you. A seminar won't help you. A conference won't help you. A 10-day fast won't help you. If the love of Christ isn't powerful enough for me to make me love you, there's nothing else I have for you. And that same thing is for you and how you deal with one another. It's always the cross at the center of everything that we do. It has to be at the center of our parenting, of our families, in our communities, how we deal with other people. So Jesus is the one that gives us the power, the strength to love our neighbor as ourselves. Let us pray. Father, I pray that you would help our unbelief. I pray that you will help us, particularly my unbelief. It's so easy, Lord, just again, just to come in here and to check off a box. I did my worship thing. I sang some songs. I preached a sermon. Now let me go eat and get on with my week. But Lord, help us. Your word says in, in, in Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. Some of us need to learn to be still. Some of us need to learn to sit quiet 
and hear from you, Lord. Holy Spirit, quiet our soul. Help us to be still during the week so that we will know, truly know that our God is for us and not against us. That our God is Emmanuel. He will never abandon us. Help us, Lord, to know that you have been a neighbor to us even when we didn't deserve it. So help us be a neighbor to those that are hard to love. And we all have people in our life that are hard to love. We all do. I should hear some amens right now. So give us a heart to even love those people, Lord, the way that you love us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.